At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply at LifeMD.com. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications through LifeMD? LifeMD is now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. You just take your shot. It doesn't feel like you're on a diet. What I wasn't expecting it to do was to shut off the food noise. This was life-altering, and if I can do it, I feel like anybody can do it. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com. Welcome to the Mass Effect Lorecast, the podcast where we explore the vast universe of lore behind the Mass Effect games. We'll talk about all the details you may have missed, ask the hard questions, and more. All right, welcome back to the Mass Effect Lorecast, everybody. This is your host, Tom or Robots, and I'm here as usual with my good buddy, Sam. N7 legend. He is currently in orbit around some planet right now. Welcome to the show, Sam. How's it going? Yes, uh, ground control to Major Tom. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, how's it going? Had to had to plug that joke. Um, But anyway, I'm doing very well. Very excited about this episode that we have ahead of us. I think this is probably uh, the longest set of show notes that I've ever written for one of these episodes. So not sure if that's going to translate into the longest episode. But we have a deep dive to, to make. Wow. All right. Yeah, there's yeah, there's a lot here. We've got 13 pages of notes. Um, so man, why don't we, why don't we dive right back into this? So last week we were talking about Cerberus, the three headed dog of space and well, no, not exactly a three headed dog of space, but the origin of the, the dark organization known as Cerberus and had realized at the time that that was going to be at least two episodes. And it looks like this is going to be two, uh, like a two episode plus maybe thing, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, um, as soon as I looked at the Cerberus, like I was doing a little bit of research and I was looking at the codex entries and I was looking at the uh, the wiki as well. And I just took one glance at the wiki and I was like, this is going to have to be multiple episodes. Yeah. <laughs> There's no way that we're going to make this into one. Right. Um, All right. So uh, how, where do we where do we start off? Where do where do we go? So uh, we last talked about the origins of Cerberus, right? That was last, uh, I wanted to say last week, but it was last Wednesday. Um, So last episode, we went over the origins of Cerberus and how they really made a name for themselves. But although their reputation spread, uh, they still very much operated in the shadows. Right, okay, so that's, that was um, something I wanna ask you about. Um, If regular people 
on the extra net knew Cerberus was responsible for some of the attacks, then didn't the Alliance also know? Like, didn't they? They definitely knew about it then, right? So why didn't they just hunt them down and eliminate them? So the, the short answer is, you know, as we in the U.S. should know by now, launching a weed out operation against a faceless enemy just really isn't that simple. Um, and let alone when they have the funding and the cyber know-how to remain plausibly unconnected to everything else. Yeah, plausible um, deniability, sure. Yes. Long answer. We didn't touch on this too much last episode because it's it's because they're so skilled at remaining untraceable, um, which goes back to how their entire organization is structured. So I think it's helpful if we stop referring to Cerberus in the singular because Cerberus isn't really one entity. It's a syndicate of private intelligence agencies, biotics laboratories, engineering and scientific research teams, and perhaps most importantly, lucrative front companies. For those who are unfamiliar, a front is a business designed to look like it has a normal functioning purpose, but in, in reality, it's really only there to cover illegal behavior for its owners. Um, money laundering is common through fronts, and it's presumably one of the ways that Cerberus remains undetected. Okay. In fact, they're so good at this money hiding game that investigate investigators looking into them have referred to Cerberus as the quote unquote elusive empire led by an um, elusive man led by the elusive man for elusive reasons. <laughs> They're so elusive. Someone, one of the writers really loved the, the word elusive. Um, and I get it because in case we were wondering what elusive meant, I believe it's meant to be a play on words. There's elusive with an E which means, you know, you can't catch them. They're mm -hmm. very, they escape very easily. Um, and then there's elusive, as in illusory, which would mean deception, you know, deceiving a lie. Uh, so I believe the elusive things like the elusive empire, the elusive man, it's all a play on words. Yeah, that makes sense. I, I hadn't thought about it as being sort of both at the same time without them specifically stating that. That's interesting. So. I guess there's just a, like a lot of different moving parts. Yeah. Yeah. And each part doesn't really know what the other is doing inside Cerberus. So let me explain. Um, Cerberus is broken up into cells with each cell operating with zero clue what the other cells are up to. In other words, you know, if we're looking at a hierarchy with like the CEO up here and then like the bottom guy on the totem pole down here, um, then uh, a Cerberus cell has no horizontal communication. It's it only has communication from the top to the cell, which in this case is, you know, the top is the elusive man. So this is uh, so that in, in case one cell is compromised or exposed or found or destroyed, it doesn't really affect the rest of the syndicate. Mm -hmm. Each cell is is led by an operative, uh, of course, and who is the only person who corresponds directly with the elusive man. Um, so that's like insane micromanagement. <laughs> 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 because that means that the elusive man has his hands directly in all of the cells coordinating what each of their projects is doing directly um and this might sound familiar to those of us who are fans of organized crime shows you know the whole independent cell thing acting without knowledge of each other's actions because it's how organized crime like the mafia evaded police and 
culpability for a long time. Mm-hmm. Do you think they have Microsoft Teams? <laughs> I think that they have, uh, they probably have something very similar, but it's like installed in their brain uh-huh, and they right. can't uninstall it. And so when you get a call from the elusive man, it just keeps ringing and ringing and ringing just and you can't ignore it. It doesn't hang up. He just, he's just sitting there like this, like leaning forward with his hands, kind of like, like in a Mr. Burns pose where his fingers are like touching each other and he's just, I'm waiting. I'm waiting. Yeah. And so you pick yeah, up. He's, yeah. He's sipping his uh, his uh, bourbon or, or cognac or what, what would mm-hmm. he drink? He, he seems like a, a fancy guy, maybe brandy. Oh, yeah, um, yeah it's, like, it's like a brandy. Yeah, I could sipping I could a brandy that. with um, with a cigar. Yeah. And he's just thinking, like, when is this fucker going to pick up? Yeah, um, you will pick up. You will pick <laughs> yeah. up. Yeah. So you uh, will pick up or else you will be annihilated. Yeah. yeah. yeah so this is like this is like a huge scale and a lot of micromanaging. I, uh, how would I mean? We're talking like this is like a galaxy wide at this point. How what what kind of scale are we talking about here? How would one person handle this? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, You know, it it is a lot of micromanagement and it seems impossible for one man to handle. Right. And yet somehow the elusive man does it. (laughs) There are supposed to be 150 Cerberus operatives in 2185 at the time of Mass Effect 2. And they're all spread out all over the Milky Way from Omega to the Citadel. Almost every major spaceport, trading stop, colony, settled system, you name it, has either an operative or a Cerberus informant. Only two places really don't have Cerberus coverage uh, when it comes to their intelligence, and that's the migrant fleet and most uncharted worlds. And, and um, his mother's house. <laughs> she just he stopped she talking just, to her a long time yeah, ago. Yeah, she won't let one in. She, he just, they don't even argue about it anymore. Yeah. Yeah, she didn't show up to the wedding. It was a whole big thing. Um, (laughs) (laughs) She's the she's the one the one person that he just cannot win an argument with. (laughs) Yeah, and and actually, yeah, his his mom problems are the the reason why he becomes a total dick. Um, (laughs) Yep, yep. (laughs) So anyway, the the migrant fleet in most uncharted worlds, no coverage there. So that leaves a big blind spot for the elusive man. Um, And but with but still you know 150 operatives and countless informants and contractors and sympathizers Cerberus's reach is understandable they even have people on their payroll inside the alliance and that's not really counting everyone who may sympathize with them like i said but are not directly paid by Cerberus mm-hmm. my my guess is after the reaper invasion starts and the cat is really out of the bag there the recruitment goes up because that whole the alliance can't help you they're bought out they're in on it they're you know they're placating the aliens that kind of messaging mm-hmm. would really resonate during a time of, of, of a massive crisis right um I, at least i'm i'm speculating here but it has in history yeah uh, that makes sense yeah and I, I mean let's stop to think about the elusive man's original manifesto uh right a great genocide against humanity is coming from an alien race uh and so when the reapers invade and start killing everything and everyone he probably looks vindicated like he was right all along uh 
to the majority of the population anyway, who, by the way, doesn't know what the hell is going on. We need to keep this in mind. You know, when we play Mass Effect, the majority of the population on all of these worlds, not just Earth, but Thessia, Palavin, they don't know what the hell is going on because like they don't even know half of what Shepard does. Everything that Shepard knows is like the highest level of classification ever <laughs> so yeah so most people this is like a blind side out of nowhere right well speaking of like classification um with with the elusive man having to basically manage all of these individuals himself there's got to be a lot of communication going back and forth right so how does that communication not get intercepted or leaked well you know yeah they could and in some cases they do um cerberus had their own code like think of an enigma code uh where they would bury messages inside of extranet broadcasts um think mm. of like if i was trying to communicate something to you with subliminal messaging inside of a youtube video um according, according to the codex these messages could range from troop movement orders to all the, even all the way to instructions to financiers to direct money into specific cells that were working on specific projects ah financiers financiers i bet they're all french oh such a fancy word Finance, financiers we are here to do the money laundering we are the financiers <laughs> they, and you know money is a money is a big problem uh well it's a a big priority rather not problem uh for servers yeah well we're gonna get more into the money side of it but we've got a mid-break to do and man that that this half of the show feels like it just blew through man yeah we're just we're just yeah, getting, we're just snapping through these show notes man this just we're just clearing this stuff maybe i need to insert more jokes all right we'll be right back message coming in Patching it through. I am sovereign, and this station is mine. I like the sound of that. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership. We're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey Guardians, we are the Destiny Show Podcast, a weekly podcast about all things Destiny 2. 
We invite amazing guests from the Destiny community to share their stories and discuss the latest topics from the world of Destiny. Check us out on Apple, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, or live on Twitch every Thursday night at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific. We will see you starside. All right, so here we are in the middle of the show, and we have we have a new shepherd tier patron to thank for our weekly shepherd tier thank thinking of patrons that we do every week including the rest of them so thank you to blaze freezer pipe man sovereign and stagger and stumble for shepherd tier patrons thank you to all of you guys and thank you to all of our patrons all 43 of you thank you to everybody you guys are amazing thank you for supporting the show if you have been Enjoying the show, if we're helping you get through your workday, your commute, your workouts, your money laundering, anything that you do during the week that you get time to, you know, listen to podcasts while you do and you want to help us out, then go check out patreon.com slash Mass Effect Lorecast. There are now t-shirts and stickers as a part of this. Just scroll through the list of recent posts. You'll get down to the images of those on the patron.com slash Mass Effect Lorecast site. And you can check those out. And um, if you aren't able to help support the show financially, you can always tell a friend or leave a rating and review. Those are helpful as well. And, um, you know, we really, really do appreciate it. Sam, our patrons are the best. What do you think? Awesome people. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, and, you know, I've, I've said it before and I'll say it again. One of my favorite um parts of this entire lore cast is the end of the month episode that we do uh where i get to talk uh with the, with our patrons and of course they decide the topic of what we're talking about every month and um so i i of course i love meeting them but i also love seeing the perspectives on this game that maybe i have never even thought of and the lore is so massive and so diverse that there's so many perspectives out there that we have not even covered yet um and that being said you know if 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 we've if we have covered a topic but we didn't include a perspective that perhaps you think is noteworthy please don't hesitate to send us an email or send us like you know mm -hmm. a note in the discord if you're part of the discord yeah tag us um, on the discord yeah yeah, or, or even Twitter. Uh, find us on Twitter and then just tweet at us. Uh, and you never know, you know, if 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 one of us reads that and it's just a really compelling point, I will do my best to put that in one of the shows and credit you. Absolutely. And speaking of crediting people, we have a new review from Seust Mouse from the U.S. who writes, absolutely love it. Five stars. I'm brand new to the Mass Effect universe and blew through all the Mass Effect legendary and needed more. Luckily, there's a podcast for that. I'm already playing through my second run through the trilogy, and I love how this podcast draws parallels between real life and the game. There's just so much detail from the games, and I'm so glad you guys are exploring the vast lore. Don't be slamming any asteroids now, and keep up the great work, guys. Wow. Oh, no man. Oh, man. Um, speaking of, I... Uh, um, I've gone back. I've restarted Mass Effect 3. I I couldn't play Satan Shepherd anymore because it was very depressing doing uh, really being a really mean guy. Um, so remember, we talked about this a little bit. We talked about this a few weeks ago. Um, I can't get my I can't get my freaking Mass Effect 2 saves back because they're never going to come back. But I tried to recreate my Mass Effect 2 character as best I can and then do the 
um, do the little intro thing, making the same decisions from one and two as close as I could. And I can't get it perfectly, but I got it as close as I could because I was like, well, maybe I can just try to pick up where I left off. So I've done that. I've restarted again and I'm going to try and get back through and maybe that's going to feel close enough to my original playthrough, the one that I love the most to make it feel legit because that's I feel, I've realized that that's why three really wasn't jiving with me because that's the playthrough that really felt like canon to me. That makes so, sense. That that yeah. totally makes sense. Um, and I think a lot of listeners and a lot of Mass Effect fans can probably relate that way. I think the first playthrough always feels canon. Um, yeah. And actually, your first playthrough, did you play with the DLC? No, no. So this is going to be a lot different, actually, yeah. for you. Yeah. Uh, and I'd, I'd heavily encourage, maybe if you don't do all the DLC in Mass Effect 2, you have to do all the Mass Effect 3 DLC because yeah, they're yeah, all so all critical stuff. to the story. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, well, maybe I did. No, you know what? I might, I might have. I might have. I don't remember. Uh, it's, been, it's been so long that I don't remember on that original well, playthrough if it was out. I don't think it was out yet. I think it probably everyone wasn't. knows I did as much content Leviathan as I DLC. could, but I don't think I did. I don't think I did. I don't it wasn't it wasn't out yet when I played that first playthrough. So, yeah, I don't think it was out yet. But anyway, that's where I'm at. Um, but yeah, but anyway, thank you to thank you to everybody who helps support the show, uh, whether it's selling your friends or on, on Patreon. Thank you to everybody. You guys are the best. We've got to get through the rest of the show. So let's go. Spit it out, or are you trying to build suspense? You're so dense, sir. Obviously, I do not know as much about human relationships as I thought. So, you mentioned that Cerberus sends secret messages to their presumably rich backers. Their phone it is, where the heck do they get the cash to fund all the operations and personnel and stuff? You said you, they have got these like front businesses and stuff so where's all this come from how does this work so this is this is one of my favorite questions in mass effect because to me it's it's still a huge question mark in in the games but we have some general ideas we know that by 2185 mass effect 2 uh, cerberus pulls in several billion credits per year and likely more indirect resource acquisition like stealing stuff you know um, we know that this is because it's told to us uh, we know this because it's told to us that the lazarus project took about four billion credits and essentially all of their projects were suspended during its duration because of the heavy toll that it took so we have a rough estimate of their yearly revenue we also know that Cerberus has several front corporations that funnel money directly to the elusive man. And it likely has investments in companies that supply the Alliance, meaning as the Alliance grows, so does Cerberus. And you remember what I said about Jack Harper's message resonating with a large portion of humanity? Um, well, it, it turns out that there are a lot of sympathizers, including the galaxy's one percenters. Wealthy members of the Alliance military industrial complex have been sending credits and resources to Cerberus privately. They also may or may not use their official positions to benefit Cerberus. And I wonder what that would look like. You have Alliance military industrial complex 
members, perhaps CEOs of some of these arms manufacturers, Hand Kadar, uh, you know, Elcos Combine, that kind of thing. Um, primarily human ones, obviously non-human ones would not want to fund Cerberus. Um, so <laughs> yeah. maybe never mind on the Elcos Combine, but <laughs> you have all of these, you know, arms makers and arms manufacturers and Alliance military industrial complex members, uh, that are sending money to Cerberus, if not supplying them with goods directly. And what would that look like in real life? Have we seen something like that, like on that scale? before uh on that on that scale i don't think that we have seen something on that scale that has been something where multi-billion dollar corporations are funding a shadow black ops organization which challenges the authority of any nation i mean if, if it's happening then i mean it's uh, i don't know that we're even aware of it i mean this is in like like this is like super out there theoretical world you know right we're getting into the freemason right uh, right <laughs> sector like, right but, right i mean there's definitely the like military industrial complex which is but that's that's clearly we're aware of that <laughs> you know like that that is the government <laughs> Right. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, we are we are well aware of that. Thank right. you to Dwight Eisenhower for that one. <laughs> um, but right. uh, Switch in Bed says Stark Industries. That's a, <laughs> I think that might be a good comparison in like it, it's like the the opposite Stark Industries. Yeah. Um, yeah. But even like Stark Industries uh, that I mean, that was the military industrial complex. That was like Stark Industries is an example in the Marvel Universe of wealthy industrialists working with the government and also other you know people around the world other governments around the world to sell weaponized things you know weapons vehicles and all sorts of things um but a shadow government version of that i don't know that we're aware of of that yeah i i don't think that we are either so it it makes this whole idea very interesting to me right it makes this idea of that they have not just sleeper agents, but like these people aren't really like controlled or indoctrinated. They're just rich individuals with their hands and their and the means to control some of the galaxy's most prolific, you know, uh, weapons manufacturing plants and, and other things like that. And they are willfully involved in this arguably treasonous venture. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Um, absolutely. Um, yeah. Um, well, I mean, we're moving into like this, like dark future kind of stuff here. I mean, this is almost cyberpunk in a way. This idea that uh, the wealthy, the, the the top one percent is able to challenge the wealth of nations and make decisions that rival the power of nations because they have the money and the freedom to do so. That's kind of where this is. Yeah. And I think. <laughs> Honestly, I think that the only thing separating us from that is a charismatic leader, um, which is pretty scary if you think about it. Uh, but especially with the rise of, of, of people, I don't know if you've seen it, but I have the rise of people who are almost including their corporate identity above their national one now. Oh, sure. Um, yeah, yeah. Which is yeah. which is scary. And it's definitely applicable to Cerberus because of the people who don the Cerberus uniform in Mass Effect, they're 
are so many of them that would you know obviously they'd will they'd willingly die for cerberus but they truly believe in what cerberus says is the cause um and they believe in it more than the alliance they believe and, mm -hmm. and jacob even talks about this in mass effect 2. he left the alliance because he thought that they were inept he thought they were ineffective uh at actually solving problems which is totally buying into the elusive man's uh you know rhetoric and ideology there right. um, but it works on jacob and he gets jacob to defect from the alliance and join cerberus jacob also says it didn't it didn't help that they paid way better Right. Isn't and this is kind of a side tangent, though, like once you're off in space, once you're off the planet, aren't these basically your nations in a sense? Like you're not physically bound to a location. So when you're on if you're if you're on the planet and you have to live in a specific place, right, then you're living in the United States. You buy a plot of land or you're renting a specific place. You're tied to a location. You are, you become a citizen of that location, right? You're in the United States. You're in a, a country that you you're in, right? That's, that's your location. That's everybody who lives there. But if you are off world, especially if you are not tied to a specific planetary location, if you are transient, transient, you're, you're part of a crew on a spaceship then you are part of that crew. That's your home. That's your location. Whoever that crew is, you're part of that nationality of whatever that crew is for as long as you're part of that crew. If that crew is tied to Cerberus first, then isn't doesn't that become your nationality in a sense? Yeah, I'm getting like strong pirate vibes here. Right, um, right. right. Like, does it really matter? Because you can go wherever you want. It's... It's it is very piratey. It's very um, almost gypsy like in that you aren't necessarily tied to a specific location anymore. So why does it matter? Yeah, um, and I agree. I agree completely. And I think for that reason, Cerberus probably a, a draws a lot of people who are looking for a purpose in life. Right. Mm -hmm. They're looking for somewhere to belong, um, which is not uncommon among extremist organizations. In fact, extremist organizations prey upon those kinds of individuals. And um, so, yeah, I'm not surprised that Cerberus has that draw for that demographic of people. I think I would be interested to see fictional demographics on if Cerberus, if most of Cerberus's uh, personnel, if most of their ranks were actually made up of spacers, of people who right. literally just lived off world their entire lives. Right. Or, or if you were on a world or on a ship working for the Alliance, but you didn't necessarily agree with their ideology, what does it matter if you don't identify yourself as part of the Alliance anymore? Like, does that really affect you? You don't own land in the alliance you know what i'm saying like you work right. for a company that is part of the alliance so you pay your taxes or something but it's not like it's there's there you're you're, you're a step removed from the need to like your roots aren't as heavily connected due to the fact that you are you you're more mobile i think I don't know. There's yeah, some, the, there's the, something there that makes it just easier to change. It, nationality is no longer as important as the ideology you connect with. I think there's something there's something there. 
I think people, um, even in our current world, probably exacerbated in the Mass Effect universe because more and more of our lives are being lived online. Uh, I think people can choose what their identity is. Um, and that wasn't always the case before. You know, but like thousands of years ago, society told you what your identity was. Um, you don't get to choose. Yeah. And now that's different. And and I imagine it's different for in the Mass Effect universe. Um, but about the wealthy benefactors of Cerberus, you know, we I mentioned that some of these military industrial complex folk may or may not have been using their official positions to benefit Cerberus. Well, among those in Cerberus's pocket. Spoiler alert is Donnell Udina. <laughs> I had to mute the mic there just for a second. I don't, <laughs> I had to burp. Anyway, <laughs> among, among those in Cerberus's pocket is Donnell Udina and who we know has had a long history in, in politics and becomes humanity's counselor to the, to the Citadel. And you remember how I said the severity of the crisis that comes from the Reapers may be enough to push more people towards Cerberus. Well, it's revealed in Mass Effect 3 that Udina was moving money around for the purpose of which we don't know for sure. But after aiding Cerberus in their attempted coup, I think it's safe to, to guess why. Yeah, yeah, okay. Well, that, that kind of becomes clear, right? So you have a shady extremist black ops organization and they've got rich backers and sleepy sleeper agents in the Alliance, right? That's great. <laughs> Yeah, not encouraging, uh, but we consider these things, you know, and, and we think about what humanity's richest individuals in the military industrial complex would do in the event of a total economic collapse. Uh, and then you couple that with the research Cerberus was doing into indoctrination and it all starts to make sense how Cerberus becomes so powerful in Mass Effect 3 uh, from where we first meet them in Mass Effect 1. Right. Uh, so speaking of Mass Effect 1, uh, where were they in Mass Effect 1? Because um, based on what we've talked about, they must have existed at that point, but they didn't play a major role in the games until later. Were they written into the lore later, kind of like the Drell, or were they always around in the shadows were they something like that, that that the writers had considered in mass effect one but they just didn't introduce them yet like how did that work out so they were indeed there in mass effect one uh, some players may not have noticed or ran into cerberus in the first game if you only focused on the main missions you probably missed them in mass effect one entirely uh, but i'm here to tell you that cerberus's presence in mass effect one is notable and it shows decent amount of foreshadowing for what's to come in the trilogy um, the player can run into cerberus in a number of side missions including one on earth's moon uh, hackett asks shepherd to help out in taking down a rogue vi at an alliance uh at an alliance training ground on luna and after finishing the mission the journal entry implies that the vi was sabotaged on purpose in later games, it's revealed that the whole thing was actually Cerberus's attempt at making a controllable AI. Uh, in one of the final missions in Mass Effect 3, we find out that the VI on Luna named Hannibal uh, was actually the basis from which Cerberus made Edie. And they took that VI and then they included remnants of Sovereign. So they put they they put remnants of Sovereign, a Reaper, into a 
AI that they wanted to unshackle. <laughs> and they were like, well, we can control her. It'll be fine. It'll be. F- that sounds totally fine. This seems like what's nothing will ever go wrong with this idea. What's the worst that could happen? What's the worst uh, that could happen? AI always works out. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I see combat vet says in chat here uh cerberus was a lazy writing excuse in mass effect 2 in mass effect 3 there were a lazy cannon fodder to shoot at because writers couldn't be bothered now i couldn't disagree more here uh and we're gonna get into why i think that take is a little cynical um but i think that there is definitive evidence in the games which would disprove that and i i i think that this is a good point because i think that the the fandom of mass effect is split into two different categories where one uh thinks like combat that does here that they were a lazy writing excuse and then the other sees that cerberus was developed from the very get-go um and we're going to get into that and that's kind of why i'd like to harp on these quests that were done mass effect one because in mass effect one we don't see much of cerberus or, or do we? I think it depends on the player base. You know, how much did the player actually do in Mass Effect 1? Did mm-hmm. they focus and just, you know, streamline the main missions? Or did they go and take their time through all of the side missions, read all of those little, you know, notes and little data pads and things like that? How much attention did they pay? Um, and this isn't even counting the external media, by the way, uh, which I would argue is just as canon as the games. If Because this external media, like the Mass Effect Evolution comic series, it's the origin series uh, of Tim, or I'm sorry, uh, Tim, the elusive man, uh, Jack Harper. I would argue it's just as can, uh, canonical because Mac Walters, one of the game's writers, worked on those comics. Um, and so a lot of this external media, you can't just dis, you know discount it because it's not one of the games. It, it counts and it matters. And a lot of the research that we do from these episodes comes from that external media. We're not just taking information from the games. We're, if, if you hear something that you're like, wow, I never knew that, chances are it came from the external media because the external media has much less of a following than the games do. But I digress. Um, Hackett asks Shepard to take out this rogue VI, like I said. Um, and in later games, we find out that the rogue VI was Cerberus made, uh, or I'm sorry, we, we find out that the rogue VI uh, was likely the the result of Cerberus's doing, their meddling. Um, and then Cerberus makes Edie. And there was also this gritty storyline in Mass Effect 1 with the disappearance of a Rear Admiral Kahoku. Shepard can come start this mission. Actually, before I go any further, did you ever do this this side mission or is this going to be news for you, Tom? This is in Mass Effect 1? Correct. Um, Rear Admiral. It would have been a long time ago. So uh, go ahead. I mean, you'll describe it. It'll, it'll come back to me if you do it. But it would have been this would have been like a decade ago. This would have been a long time ago. Because when I replayed it recently, I just mainlined it in order to get through it. I didn't play all the extra stuff again. And that's that's the case for so many people. Right. Um, And so that's I don't normally include step by steps of the quests in the games because like like in these shows, because like we've said, I don't think that the the, these these episodes should be a replacement for the game. Mm -hmm. Um, 
I think they should be a supplement. So, you know, just something to add on. Um, so we don't normally do this, but for this, for this episode, we are going to walk through this storyline with Rear Admiral Kahoku because it is so relevant. Also, Rear Admiral sounds like one of those positions you get when somebody doesn't like you and they just kind of want to, you know, they're like, well, we got to give them a promotion. All right, make them a rear admiral. <laughs> rear admiral. Stick, stick Kahoku in the rear. Stick him in the rear. Make him a butt admiral. <laughs> <laughs> That'll teach him. Yeah, he didn't. Well, it's funny that you say that because that, <laughs> it's not like politics is is absent in um, mil- in the upper echelons of military, op- you know, the officer corps. Oh, yeah. It's not. It's very, it's, very, no, very much no, it's there. not. No, no. And I've, I've had some friends over the years who have served in the military and, and some very high up and there some of the stories are wonderful <laughs> not not to be in them but to hear about them <laughs> but anyway go on <laughs> yeah. yeah so so shepherd can come start this mission you know in a variety of ways uh, but it is by far one of the most intriguing side plots of the series in my opinion uh, as some players may recall there's a doctor on the citadel her name's dr michelle and she's extorted out of medical supplies by a guy named baines or at least a Krogan who claims to have worked for Baines. And Baines is a researcher hired by the Alliance who Michelle actually used to work with. Now, when you ask Captain Anderson, you can hear this and then you go to Captain Anderson, you hear, you know, Alliance, maybe Captain Anderson knows something about this guy, Baines. You go up to him and you ask him about Baines and he gets super weird. He gets clammy all of a sudden, kind of like a, how the hell did you hear that name kind of thing? It's almost like you asked him about a prior lover. It's kind of strange, Um, but (laughs) he discloses that Armiston Baines disappeared and has been dead for some time he directs shepherd to talk to a high-ranking alliance officer rear admiral kahoku mm. so shepherd then uh talks to kahoku and kahoku tells him that tells him or her uh that kahoku had a team of marines searching for baines after baines disappeared they found his body aboard a ship with nothing else and then later that group of marines disappears too uh so it, it gets like more intriguing you're like who like a whodunit kind of thing yeah um and you you're on this trail and you, there's really few hints along the way until you get to the end um and the marines are found dead ultimately um i believe shepherd finds them on an uncharted world uh having been lured to a thresher mon nest by a fake uh rescue beacon so this is this happens a few times in Mass Effect One on the Uncharted Worlds. You find a fake rescue beacon and it's mm-hmm. a trap. This this sounds one familiar of, now. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, one of the times it's 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 a uh, it's a rescue beacon that's put there by the Geth. The other times, all of the other times besides that, I'm pretty sure, are all due to the same reason. Now this could sound familiar to some players because the same thing happens to a colony on a where a team of Marines were attacked by Thresher Maws and only one survived. This is something that we only hear about through con through context, through dialogue. This isn't something that we actually see play out because it happens before the events of Mass Effect one commander Shepard. If you chose the sole survivor background is the only survivor of that Thresher Maw attack on a and if you didn't, if you did not choose the sole survivor background, well, then we meet 
the only survivor of that attack, whose name is Corporal Toombs. Corporal Toombs, we find out that he escaped death uh, from the Thresher Maw only to be abducted and experimented on by Cerberus heavily. <laughs> like, like they really messed this guy up. And this also implies that Cerberus was behind that too. So I want to take a step back for a second. And let's think about what this means for the series. If you chose Soul Survivor, then your Shepard's story has been so insanely shaped by Cerberus from the very get-go, from before even the start of Mass Effect 1. Your Shepard was battling Cerberus' shenanigans. It's because of Cerberus that your Shepard's entire unit died on a coups. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. it's almost because of Cerberus or it's because of Cerberus that your shepherd almost died. Right. Right. Like Cerberus is almost the instigator of your shepherd's story. Like, oh my God, it's been you from the start. Right. Like, right. Yeah. Right. So, so what about, I, 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 I digress. Yeah. So what about, um, Kahoku's, uh, team of Marines? They're found dead at the Thresher mall. Yeah. And, and after Shepard tells him, what happened to his team, Kahoku vows to uncover the truth surrounding this. Um, so from there, Kahoku buys information on Cerberus from the Shadow Broker, and then Kahoku also disappears. So it's like, okay, what the hell is going on here? Uh, during his investigation, Kahoku comes to the conclusion that Cerberus is a rogue black ops group that had broken away from the Alliance. And Baines. Armiston Baines, the Alliance hired researcher, was actually a Cerberus agent. Now, I've seen Commander Shepard here mention this in chat. Commander Shepard here uh, is his name, <laughs> not the actual Commander Shepard. That'd be sweet if we had him in chat, but um, or her. I would love to have Jennifer Hale in chat as well as Mark Mir. But Commander Shepard here on Twitch mentions in chat that the Alliance was a, or I'm sorry, Cerberus was an Alliance Black Ops group. And it makes sense why he'd say that, because this is the first instance really that we hear about the Cerberus origins in Mass Effect 1. However, later when we find out that Cerberus is a set of cells, and it has been, this means that Kohoku probably thought he found the entirety of Cerberus. He thought Cerberus is really just this one entity, but it's not. And it's actually... I think that I think that Kahoku actually just found one cell mm. and he thought he found the entire organization. Right. And uh, remember, in addition to this, remember that the Alliance also, they were sleeper agents and sympathizers in there as well. So it wouldn't make sense if he found one cell and that cell had no knowledge of the other parts of Cerberus, Mm -hmm. why he would think that he found the entire organization because that's where all of the communiques led. Right. Yeah. It would be easy to, to take a look at all their stuff and then assume that you've cleaned them out. Especially the lack of evidence of anything else. It sounds like funding went from Cerberus, the syndicate, to the cell so the cell never used more funding than would be believable given their actions if that Mm -hmm. makes sense right right so people looking into this like hoku other investigators they would look at it they would think okay they were doing these operations they were doing this this and this so they probably had this much funding okay 
given what we found, given the amount of people that we found, that's probably the extent of it. Yeah. Yeah. There would be no way of understanding the full extent without getting to the top of the organization. Yeah. Yeah. There would be no way of knowing. Yeah. Because it's not actually a web. It's more of a, it's, I mean, there's no web, like there's no connecting between the actual, you know, I don't know, layers. Everything just goes directly to the, to the core. I don't know how to describe that visually, yeah. <laughs> but sorry, sorry. My, my, uh, my, my girlfriend is, is cooking right now and we we have an instant pot and uh-huh. I don't know. Sorry. This is a really, you know, off topic thing. Instant pots are amazing, but when you depressurize them, they're pretty noisy and it takes a while. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, anyway, yes. Cerberus has this plausible deniability just set in to their very structure. It's ingenious, really. Um, and, and Kahoku, you know, soon after realizing what he has stumbled upon, or at least thinking that he knows the extent of it, immediately re- relays this information to Shepard. And soon after relaying it, Kahoku is captured and killed. Um, so Shepard can continue searching for Kahoku, which takes the squad to a Cerberus research facility on Binthu, uh, where they, and Binthu is an uncharted world, uh, where they find Kahoku's body and his body is covered entirely in needle marks. Hmm. And he's been imprisoned with some of Cerberus's test subjects. From here, Shepard tracks down what is thought to be the Cerberus's main base, but again, likely just the head of one cell. Uh, where researchers have experimented on people again. Um, you know, in all, we find out that Cerberus was experimenting with using Thresher Maws as weapons, trying to control Arachni, and turning people into Thorian Creepers. And for those who can't remember uh, or, or never played Mass Effect 1, the Thorian was a sentient life form, uh, you know, tens of thousands of years old, on uh pharos which basically it was stationary and it was kind of like a plant but it would get organic beings like like humans and asari to do its bidding by releasing spores and then it could control their minds via the spores yeah wacky stuff So, um, sorry, sorry, I'm still getting distracted by the thing. (laughs) Sorry, I'm I'm sorry, it's still going. Um, so it's it's interesting how it's just easy to miss these these parts. Um, do we know do we know why they were doing experimenting on all this on all these different things? Uh, yeah, you know, there is an interesting common thread here in how what Cerberus was experimenting on and how they communicate. We know that the Rachni are a hive mind, each individual being connected. Uh, we also know that the Thorian Creepers, the colonists uh, made into the Thorian's Thralls, we know that they operate as somewhat of a collective consciousness. They can feel each other's senses and respond accordingly. So maybe Cerberus was looking into advancing humanity as they say that they are, Mm -hmm. uh, through forced evolution, uh, giving humanity an ability 
to telepathically communicate uh, and live as a hive mind, I guess, would qualify as advancing humanity, right? Um, yeah, I, yeah, I mean, it's almost like they, they're just seeing if they can do it. It's, it's, it's almost yeah, like they never stopped to think if they <laughs> should do it. Right. It's almost like we can do it. So let's try rather than should we? Yeah, it's it's definitely a control uh, mechanism, and we're gonna get into that in a little bit. But you know, the whole common thread thing that I that I am bringing up about the communication—that's pure speculation. That's not um, that's not spelled out by the lore. That's just somewhere I'm going with it because this is something that I've noticed is a commonality among all of their tests in Mass Effect One. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, but even more than that. So here's here's what we know. The elusive man tasked this specific cell with seeing if they could control Thresher Maws. They wanted to lure them to designated locations and then use them as wild weapons. Mm-hmm. It worked. <laughs> um, Cerberus experimented on Rachni and Thorian Creepers to use them as shock troops, basically all to gain more power. Um, But the thing is that you need to be able to control your shock troops. And we know Cerberus tried to control an unshackled AI, resulting in the rogue VI on Luna going haywire, shooting its guns everywhere, killing a bunch of people. (laughs) And And that ultimately led to Edie. So... I think it's easy for the player to just play this and in, in the moment, you know, just kind of reflect and say, oh, well, this is bad guy doing bad stuff, right? Sure. Um, but this sure. all fits in with a theme the elusive man has going on, which is control. It has been his, Jack Harper's, and therefore Cerberus's mission and mantra from the very beginning. It's not some random ideology placed on him and Cerberus at the very end of the trilogy. We see this mindset of control in Mass Effect 1. We see this, you know, where that road leads with his insisting on saving the human Reaper in Mass Effect 2. And we also see how his story ends in Mass Effect 3 with his advocating for control of the Reapers. So I guess to, to answer your earlier question, I actually think the writing has been remarkably consistent through all of these different staff and personnel changes that Bioware had among the years during the trilogy. I think that they set up all of the components and all of the foreshadowing that they needed in Mass Effect 1 for Cerberus to grow into what it was and the enormous threat it was by the end of Mass Effect 3. That makes sense. Man, so much, uh, so, so shady, so shady. You know, if I was to open up a, uh, motel in Florida, I would design it with a, uh, palm tree and call it the shady motel. That's, that's Cerberus HQ that's right there. Cerberus HQ here <laughs> um, in Florida. Yet. Yeah. Uh, Switch in bed on Twitch here says, <laughs> says uh, that name is funny every time I read it. Um, Switch in bed says the computer logs on the base in three, meaning I, I'm supposing that this means the Cerberus base in Mass Effect three mm-hmm. do add a lot to it. 
but I think it has a lot to do with, you know, I was dead for two years. These people brought me back and they're willing to fund the fight and still let me do things my way, which, which is, is interesting. Which is part of why Shepard was able to, was willing to go along with them in Mass Effect 2. That's the conversation they've been having in chat. Yes. Right. Yes. Yeah. Um, and that is a very valid point because Miranda tells Shepard in Mass Effect 3, you know, I wanted to control you. I wanted to put a control chip in you, but the elusive man said no. So it was really like this only one decision where the elusive man lets go of control. This guy who is so insistent on control that he micromanages cells across the galaxy and they can only talk to him and coordinate through him. And he's the only one that coordinates with the funding, you know, and then sends the funding out. Like he's doing all of the backend stuff by himself. He refuses to contract any of this stuff out because he needs control. Yeah. It's kind of, and yet for, for this one thing, he lets go for this one thing. Yeah. He lets go. And it's the very reason that, the galaxy is saved right right yeah well hey at least he made that decision good job good job elusive man you did it thanks to thanks to the elusive man the galaxy was saved that's the uh moral of the story yeah so i (laughs) so that that all being said i i do i do resist you just agreed that that was the moral of the story I, I do. I do. <laughs> because I want to retouch on, on something that we mentioned like 15 minutes or so ago uh, that I resist this narrative that Cerberus was just made into a convenient enemy. I, I do, because it makes sense how they rose to power. They had the writing there from Mass Effect 1, like like it was there chronologically in our own time <laughs> that all of the pieces were there to do with what they pleased. You can't say that about other factions in the series, like the Blue Suns, like, you know, the, the Eclipse. You can't say that for the other factions because in Mass Effect 1, the Shadow Broker is mentioned, right? Because we're talking about secret shady organizations. The Shadow Broker is mentioned, but we don't see a lot of the execution of the Shadow Broker's operations. We do see it with Cerberus but it's reserved for side missions. So maybe they knew where it was going from the very start. Maybe they didn't. If they didn't, that was a hell of a retcon. Or maybe they just planted the seeds with an idea of like, this will be somebody who becomes more important as we go. A lot of times, a lot of times writers do that. You know, they go, if this doesn't develop into something else, that's fine but at least we have a foundation here we can use later on if we decide to do so true yes and i agree with that i'm just remarking directly at the motivations yeah so you know motivations can be shaped as uh, as a lore goes on but it seems that from the very beginning control was central to right. cerberus controlling right. people controlling things so right right i am uh, impressed by that so uh, to wrap this up, I forgot to mention that we do have a new contest uh, during the middle of the show. I, for- I should have brought this up. I forgot to mention it. So our our mysterious shadow broker, I should just call them the shadow broker, shouldn't I? Our mysterious shadow broker has uh, given me instructions on our new contest for this month. And here it is, friends. So on the Discord, on the Mass Effect Lorecast Discord, I want you guys to share with us 
your special concoction. It can either be a drink or food recipe. So think like fancy mixed drink of your own design or food recipe for something Mass Effect inspired and give it a fancy name and some simple instructions. So let's say you want to do like a spin-off of like a Mass Effect margarita and make it like a Vorcharita or something. Then tell us what you would do, how you would make it, what you put in it and give it a fancy name, the Vorcharita, what goes in it and then post it on the Discord. And at the end of the month, we are actually before the end of the month, we will pick uh, two winners this month. So you've got you got two weeks left. And then I guess we're going to do the 31st. Are we going to do a a uh, Halloween sh- night show? My gosh, we're going to have so many cool episodes coming up. So we got the 31st. We got the 31st, was which is the patron chat. Patron chat. Halloween Shit. patron chat. Are you chat. guys going to dress up for our Halloween <laughs> night show? <laughs> and then the next week we have in seven day. And seven in day. Se- November 7th is on a Sunday. And we're going to have an episode on in seven day. Are you guys so. going to dress up? Are you guys going to dress up for that day? That would be amazing. So please jump into the Robots Radio Discord. Go into the Mass Effect Lorecast channel and share with us your special Mass Effect drink or or food recipe. It can be it can be like fun. Like maybe you can make I don't know. I'm just throwing it out there. Turian nachos. Well, who knows what goes in that? I don't know. Make it up. Put it in there. Give it a cooler name than I came up with. Maybe you'll be the winner. Come up with something cool. Give us a fancy fancy food or drink recipe and you can post actually as much as you want. Come up with some really cool ones. I don't care. Post as, be as creative as you want. Post a bunch of stuff in there and the winner will get to join us for free without being a patron on the patron episode at the end of the month, which happens on the 31st. So do that. We'll pick a winner on the episode before the end of the week. So you've got two weeks to do that. We'll pick the winner on the 24th and I will share this around on Twitter. We'll share this around on the discord. Make sure everybody knows. So there you go. Dexto cheese. <laughs> Got to be ooey gooey. So, yeah, everybody's chatting it up in there. Turian vodka and triple distilled with an emergency induction induction port. <laughs> By the way, about the, the drinks, I am very anxious to see what people come up with. I think if I see one that that looks like it's pretty good, I'll probably try it out. Hell, I could try it out like on the on the uh, on patron that, chat on that patron chat show you guys could like mix these up and try them i mean i can't do it because it's a migraine trigger for me but you guys could try it um also if you already are a patron and joining us don't be afraid to throw in your own stuff in there because if you win you can gift it to somebody else so you get to choose if you're the winner who gets to join us so somebody who isn't a patron you can be like here i'm going to gift it to this person and then they can join us so Anybody can win. So don't be afraid to, to jump in and yeah. you've got a fun, creative idea, throw it in there. So, yes. What if it's kombucha way, based, Sam? <laughs> That's a no, good question. No, I refuse. <laughs> um, I don't like kombucha and I never will. <laughs> Portland will never convince me to like it. Uh, this is the hill that I will die on. <laughs> 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 it's the kombucha hill. Um, by the way, about the drinks. I and many other Mass Effect fans across the fandom are well aware of the uh, list of Mass Effect cocktails that exists. It was published by SaveGame.com, uh, SaveGameOnline.com, and uh, just don't plagiarize. Don't plagiarize. You can use it. For, use those for inspiration. 
Yeah. But try to be yeah. try to be creative on your own. Um, you got anything else going on, Sam, that you want to share before we head out? And also, what's coming up next week? We got to talk about that. So, yeah, of course, we've mentioned another secretive faction a few times this episode, and I think we should expand on them next week. Of course, that would be the Shadow Broker. Um, it is one person, and yet he or she or it has built an entire faction around the shadow broker so we are going to talk about the shadow broker next week it will again likely be multiple episodes because we we have our work cut out for us uh when it comes to the shadow broker they released an entire dlc all about it uh so that will be fun uh but that's what we got going on next week and then for me i of course am now i'm doing these episodes on my new pc there are still some issues be them uh minor i don't want to jinx anything but anyway still going to work out some issues with that for now i think that i can stream on this pc so i will be streaming um hopefully tomorrow and if i am streaming tomorrow i will be streaming mass effect so uh, i will be playing mass effect um we will be installing mods on this playthrough as we go because Mm -hmm. i would love to see what the modding community has out there are there any like spooky skeleton mods I don't know, but I did see that tweet that you shared about the skeletons being dropped into Red Dead, uh, and that looked amazing. Somebody hacked Red Dead Redemption and started uh, dropping in two-headed skeletons into Red Dead Redemption Online, which just attack players out of the blue, which is terrible. One, don't hack games, but if you are going to hack games, <laughs> that's hilarious. Uh, so anyway, um, well, cool, man. Uh yeah, that's awesome. Please share that and I'll repost it and try to jump in if I can. And um, I'll be streaming in the mornings. I'm streaming every weekday morning now, starting around 8.30 a.m. And I will either be playing games when I can, or I will be working on things, editing podcasts, editing videos. I've got a new series of videos I want to start working on, which will be, uh, I want to start doing, this is a fun idea. I want to start doing lore videos for things like either Mass Effect or Fallout or Elder Scrolls. But like lore for noobs is I think what I'm going to call it. It's going to be like a for dummies type thing, but it's going to be like, like imagine like Mass Effect, like, like, um, like you do like Turians, like Turian lore for noobs. And it's going to be like, what are the Turians? And it's going to be like stupid videos about like, like imagine if raptor people, if, if raptor people were walking around on the planet and we ran into them and then decided to shoot them all up. And then we were like, oops, sorry, you know, like that kind of thing. Right. So, yeah, that's yeah. Uh, I'm going to try that out and see if that helps uh, grow some of these new YouTube channels that now all of our podcast videos are on. And hopefully that'll help grow the channels, get more attention to our regular videos and also be fun for people to watch as kind of like a secondary thing for you guys. So hopefully that'll be fun. So I'll be working on some of that stuff during the week and <laughs> mean people <laughs> and uh so yeah, come come hang out with me, twitch.tv slash robots radio, and then hang out with Sam when he streams. We'll be streaming when we can. I'll be in the mornings. And Sam, do you have like a regular time in the evenings for you? So I work what is basically nine to five PM Eastern time. I'm in Pacific time, but more or less I'm going to be if I'm streaming, it's going to be in the evenings. Uh, it's gonna be after six PM Eastern time. 
if I'm streaming. Um, and then Thursdays and Fridays, more likely to be streaming. Uh, those are my weekends. So yeah, I will try to stream every Thursday, Friday for the next few weeks. Um, but I have a friend coming to visit me here in a few weeks. So we'll probably take a week off then. Cool. Oh, and then, uh, by the way, just plug it again uh, in case anyone doesn't know if you want to find me on twitch if you want to find me on xbox or really any medium where i might be just type in at in seven the legend there you go yeah you come hang out with me in the mornings and him in the evenings and otherwise join us on the discord and that's a great way to plug in everything else all right guys thank you for being here we'll be back next week until then stay safe out there in that crazy crazy galaxy full of all sorts of dark and shady people trying to control the universe we'll be back soon See you later. Thanks for tuning in to the Mass Effect Lorecast. We'd love to hear your opinion and thoughts on the lore of Mass Effect. Reach out to us on Twitter at Mass Effect Cast or check out the Robots Radio Discord. Also, you can send us an email at MassEffectLorecast at gmail.com. Are you an avid player of the Elder Scrolls Online and looking to take your game to that next level? Well, the Red Diamond Courier Podcast is here to help. I'm Bob Chichinsky. And I'm Dogbark24. We are two experienced players aiming to help others learn and improve through in-game knowledge and references. From PvE. To PvP. And everything in between. There's sure to be something for you in the Red Diamond Courier. We We hope hope you check check us us out. out. Thanks. Hey, I'm Pylon. And I'm Doc. And if you've ever played an Elder Scrolls game, you've probably used UESP.net to help you find information about a quest, dive deeper into lore, or really learn anything about the Elder Scrolls. But did you know we have a podcast too? Every week we bring you the latest in Elder Scrolls news, dig deeper into topics surrounding the game, and have a ton of fun while doing it. You can find us on your favorite podcatcher by searching the unofficial Elder Scrolls podcast. Can't wait to see you all there. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.